0: Well, good morning, Second Presbyterian. It is great to be with you all. Uh, you've treated me very well, and uh, I'm thankful. Thankful for many reasons. You know, there's a lot of reasons that it's cool to be a Christian, uh, but uh, one of the ones that I really enjoy is how it doesn't matter where you go, uh, if you're in a church that believes in the Lord, that follows Jesus, you're among people who, who know and follow the Lord, you're with family. Uh, you know you'll be loved. And I've experienced that here, and I'm thankful for the, the chance to uh, to spend some time with you, and especially the opportunity I get to to bring you the Word. And so, we today will be in First John, chapter four, uh, verses seven to twelve. I believe the page number is in the bulletin. If you want to use the pew Bible, again, that's First John chapter four, verses seven to twelve. Allow me to read this into your hearing, beloved. Let us love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the chance to be together, um, and thank you for your word. And uh, As always, Lord, we are aware of the power of your word, its ability to, to speak into our hearts and lives, to meet us where we're at, and to take us to where we need to be. And so, Lord, I do pray uh, for that power to be present this morning. Uh, Lord, we know how you work. You've been working all this morning in our lives, Lord, speaking to our hearts. So I pray um, that our hearts would continue to be open, especially now. And, Lord, uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for your care for us by giving us a word by which we may listen to and learn and follow. Uh, And so, Lord, uh, we thank you for this time. We thank you for who you are. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are certain people and places that uh, are defined by one thing. If you think of the name, you think of the place, you immediately think of that one thing. So you think, uh, you hear the word, the name Michael Jordan, you think of basketball. Uh, Chick-fil-A, you think of chicken sandwiches. Uh, Nick Saban, you think of Alabama. Uh, a name, a place immediately are defined by that one thing. And, and so if I were to say the name God, uh, what's the thing you would think of? What... Defines who God is. Uh, Well, our passage this morning wants to tell us that a defining characteristic of God, uh, the thing you should think of when you hear the name God, is love. Love so defines who God is, so much as part of what He does, we can say, it says there in verse 8 of 1 John 4, God is love. It's not just that God loves. He is love. Everything about God bears the mark of love. Like water is wet, like the sun is hot, God is love and is always love. It's who he is. And now our passage then goes goes on to say, as you heard, that those of us who believe in God, those who have been made born again by God, should also be about love. Specifically, we should love one another. You can't claim to be a Christian. You can't claim to know God, it says if you don't love one another. It makes sense. If God is love, we who say we follow God should also be about love. So what does it mean to love one another? How should we love one another? Those are the questions I want us to consider this morning. And I I want to do so by focusing on one particular way that God loves. It's this, that God loves us with a beloved love. And we who are from God can and should love one another with this same beloved love. So we'll begin this morning by by thinking and spending a good amount of time thinking about what it means to say that God loves us with a beloved love. I'm going to be thinking really about just that one phrase, God is love. But I want us to think about this in light of the entire scripture. What might the entire Bible tell us about how we understand what it is to say that God is love, and particularly this aspect of beloved love? Because for sure, in our immediate context of our passage in First John, uh, and really just in the context of First John entirely, uh, we might think primarily of God being love, God loving us, in the vein of God acting as Father, that God loves us as a Father. First John 3, just a chapter earlier, explicitly says this. It says, the kind of love uh, it talks about the kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. So God has a familial love for us. When We think of God as love. We can think of God loving us as a father. So of course, first John four, when you read God is love, an initial application of this, an initial way for us to think about that is to think through that lens of familial love. God the Father moves towards us in love to bring us and adopt us into his family. It's not that we first saw God and wanted to be part of this family. Verse 10 tells us it's not that we love God. It's that he first loved us. And God the Father loved us so much he was willing to give up a member of his family, the most precious part of him, his only son, it says in verse 9. And in verse 10, to be the propitiation for our sins. So God loves us as a father. But that's not the only way God loves us, is it? We haven't exhausted what it means to say that God is love if we only say God loves us as a father. As we sort of take that phrase God is love and think about how that informs our understanding of the entire scripture, one of the things we begin to realize is that God loves us in a lot of different ways. God is very generous with his love. Uh, you might imagine the full buffet of options of love. God has grabbed all of them and extended them towards us. And one of the more potent ways, one of the most interesting and vibrant ways to think about the whole panoply of ways in which God loves us is in this way, that God has loved us with a beloved love. Think of love of God through the metaphor of marriage. To say that God is love, one of the other things we can say that God loves us like a husband loves his bride. We see this, of course, in Ephesians 5. It explicitly uses the metaphor of marriage. It says, we, the church, are the bride of the Lord, but a bride of Christ. Now, God loves us like a husband loves his bride. For us to say God is love is for us to, to think also of this aspect as well, as we think of this in light of the entire Scripture. And it's this particular expression of love that I want to spend some time thinking about this morning. That God loves us, and that's what I mean when I say God loves us with a beloved love. I'm meaning this through the lens of marriage, that God loves us with the beloved love of a spouse. Uh, now, to be clear here, we're in the realm of metaphor here. This is the, 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 the image of, of us being married to God. It's not 100% equal to human marriage. To say that God is our husband doesn't mean that one day we're going to get to heaven, going to line up one by one and exchange rings with God or something like that. That's maybe for the cults somewhere else out there. That's not for us. That's not what we're talking about here. We're different, of course. God is spirit, uh, and we are uh, physical beings. God is eternal. Uh, We've been created. Uh, So it's not a one-to-one relationship as we think of this metaphor of human marriage to spiritual marriage. But this metaphor does matter. It's saying something significant, isn't it? This description that's used for God, that he's like a husband, it's an intentional way for us to understand the kind of relationship God wants to have with his people. In particular, the kind of love that God wants to have with us. It's a love... That's a beloved love. That the love that God has for us, we should understand the quality and nature of this love. It's the kind of love that's in a good marriage. It's an intimate, affectionate, deliberate, committed love for us. You know, when when the Bible is written, and this is not the way people thought of spirituality. It's the way in which people thought of God or the gods. Um, The gods of ancient days were mostly selfish, selfish. these are gods that you have to sort of cajole with. Uh, you have to struggle with, offer the right sacrifices, to do the right rituals and prayers to get them to do what you want them to do. And many people today who may not believe in gods in the same way, many people, many, maybe many, many of you this morning, you think of life in the same way. What are the things I got to do? What's the education I got to get? What's the job I've got to have? What are the things I got to do to get life to go my way? It's a struggle. And you've got to work at it. And some of you, you've done a good job wrestling your life down to get it to go where you want it to go. But it's fragile. You've got to keep a grip hold of it. Others of you, I mean, you're deep down in the pit. God wants you to know this is not how he's like. You don't have to think of him that way. The God of the Bible is not someone you've got to manipulate. It's not someone you've got to trick to pay attention to. He's not someone you've got to struggle with. The God of the Bible is someone who wants a relationship with people. And this kind of relationship, one of intimacy, one of commitment, one of love. Now, when God's people, we think of God's people back in the Old Testament, God's people were Israel. It's interesting to to see the ways in which God describes his relationship with them. A lot of different descriptions. But again, one of the more opponent and striking ways in which God describes his relationship with Israel is through that metaphor of marriage. Ezekiel 16 verse 8 says this. God speaking about Israel. He says, when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age of love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. God says, I see you, Israel, my people, and I want to be in a relationship with you, and I want to be in a relationship with you where not, you're not just my, you're not my possession. God could have treated us just as an object that he toys with. You're not just a a plaything, someone I sort of amuse with, and I go back to do my own thing. I want to see you and relate to you as my bride. I'm going to love you as my bride. I'm going to unite to to you as my bride. Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 to 20 says this, "'And I'll betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord.'" to know the Lord, and I want to suggest not just sort of know intellectually, but know intimately the kind of knowledge that happens uniquely in a marriage. Now understand what God, the way God is speaking of Israel here, God is speaking more broadly of all peoples, of the church, that what was going on with Israel was really just the the beginnings, the, the blueprint for eventually God to draw all peoples to himself. God's intention was to have a relationship with a people as we see in Revelation, every tribe, language, and nation, to have this type of love relationship with them. You know, I've had the privilege of officiating uh, many weddings, and uh, one of the the great uh, things you get to do when you officiate a lot of different weddings is to stand at the the head of the aisle with the groom, and you see when the bride comes through the doors, like an aisle just like this one, comes through the doors, and, and you see you're right there, you're closer than anyone else. You see the look on the groom's face as he sees his bride walking down the aisle. Uh, He's focused on that bride. Many, Many of you can remember this, that sense of excitement, of eagerness, of delight, of affection as that bride comes closer and closer. That groom can't wait for that bride to get to the head of the church, the top of the church, and for him to be united to that bride. Friends, this is how God looks at us. This is how God looks at the people he's in relationship with. God is a God who loves his people, and he has deep passion and eagerness for us. He delights in us. He, he sees us and loves us as a beloved bride with a beloved love. There, of course, is a dark side to this love story, and it's the regular failure of God's people to be faithful to the Lord to be fully committed to the Lord, our our tendency to follow other things, to be committed to other things, to be intimate with other things besides the Lord God. Uh, We see this, of course, over and over with Israel. And the Bible describes this unfaithfulness, this uncommittedness to to him as adultery. Again, it's another metaphor, but it's a striking one, isn't it? Out of all the ways to describe what it is to not follow God, the Bible uses this metaphor. It's like adultery. Israel's sin is like adultery. It's one of the most severe descriptions you can use because the Bible wants us to understand Israel, it's not like Israel just let God down. Israel was late for a meeting. Uh, that Israel sort of didn't do all the chores. What happened here was a violation of intimacy and trust, a betrayal. And to describe it this way, again, helps us understand just how God is seeing this thing, the kind of relationship God has with us. This is not a casual thing. This is just a hangout that God wants to have with us. It's about intimate union, so much so that if we betray that relationship, it's like adultery. It's like we've cheated on him. So here's the problem. God wants relationship with us. He's described very clearly the kind of relationship he wants to have with us. One that's going to require commitment because God is going to pour all of himself into us. He's going to express passion and delight and affection for us. The problem is uh, we don't do such a good job of relating to God. We fail over and over and over again. Uh, It's not working. God tried with Israel. It didn't work. And really, in view of that, God would have every right to just give up on the whole project. I tried with Israel. If I add other people to this, if I add Gentiles to this, well, I mean, it's not going to work either. We've seen what happens in Israel, and I gave him every, 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 every opportunity for this to work. Why should I continue? But Again, God is love, isn't it? God has so much love that we see God not giving up, but instead promising to find a way to make this marriage work. how does God pull it off? Well, he pulls it off in Jesus. God comes to us and rescues us in Jesus Christ. Again, in Ephesians 5, we read how Paul is talking about human marriage, and in doing so, he makes clear that human marriage is ultimately a reflection of this divine reality, a divine reality of Christ uniting together with his church. And what you see with Jesus is someone loving his spouse so much, loving his intended so much, he's willing to give up all of himself to make this work. Ephesians 5.25, it says, husbands, love your wives, and here is the example, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus shows, like nothing else, the strength and passion of God's love for us. Jesus shows us that we are dearly loved by God, that we are beloved to God. Jesus shows us that God loves us so much, he's willing to come to us in Jesus Christ and die for us to make us the bride that we need to be, to make it possible for us, to know him, and be united to him in love. This is what makes a relationship with God possible. It could not happen on our own. We weren't moving in God's direction. We weren't even thinking about God's direction. So God moves in our direction in Jesus. He moves towards us and wraps us in a love that never lets us go. Jesus is God loving us and loving us forever. And that's what makes love, beloved love, so powerful. Because beloved love like this, when you understand, Second Presbyterian, this is the ultimate reality for us. This is where all things are headed. Life ultimately one day will be like ma- being married to someone and it being the best marriage ever. It's, like, it's going to feel like being married to someone who intimately, deeply, and fully loves you. That's the picture we get in Revelation 19, isn't it? It says, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb, that's Jesus, has come and we, his bride, have been made ourselves made ready. An angel says, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The story that holds the universe together, the story that the angels tell around the campfires of heaven, the story they tell over and over. They don't tell other stories. This is the story they want to tell over and over. It's this the love story of God seeking and finding his people and bringing them to himself. The love story of God creating a home such that we might be together with him in a relationship of affection, a relationship of beloved love forever. That's where we're headed that's where we're going. God has done something more. He wants us to understand we're going there, that's where we're headed, but it's not like we got to wait for us to experience that love. God has said, I'm bonding that love to you now. Even now, we should speak of God's beloved love being firmly rooted in our lives, living within us. That's my understanding of Romans 8. So Romans 8 chapter, Romans chapter 8 verses 35 and 38 and 39, here's what it says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall separation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword none of those things. Verse 38. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. All of God's love All the ways in which God loves us, like we've been talking about, his beloved love, is now bonded to our life. The instant you believed in Jesus, it became part of you. Faith in Jesus brings the spirit of God into our lives. And like it says in earlier chapter of Romans, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. All of God's love, not a little bit all of God's love, all the ways in which God loves has been poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit. So his love is not somewhere out there for you to find. His love is within you. And the Bible says there's nothing that can separate you from that love. Nothing can come between you and that love. There's no threats, no circumstances, no current cultural tensions, no future elections. Nothing can separate you. From the love of God in Christ Jesus, nothing in your own personal life, none of your own struggles, your own issues, your own addictions, your own habits, none of those things can separate you from the love of God if you've believed in Jesus. He has poured His love into you by His Spirit, and it will never leave you. So we are always now connected to God in His love. And here's the thing: here's the, here's the here's the turn I want us to make. That same love is the basis for you to connect to one another here, to connect to any believers to love one another. God loves us with a beloved love and it's out of this beloved love that we can understand what it is to love one another. Now let's go back to to 1 John 4 in the light of sort of all the things we've seen. And I want to connect a couple different phrases in our passage that I read. So verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love comes where? From God. Verse 8, because God is love. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So we're to love one another, and we do so on the basis of how God loved us. us. We do so on the basis that God is love, a love that is firmly rooted in us by His Spirit. So we love one another with a familiar love. Yes, and, and that's often how we think about how we love one another, to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's great. That's incredibly uniting and helpful for how we have community. But because all of God is in you, all of God being love is in you, we can also love one another with a beloved love. Because understand, we want to love one another not out of some natural ability that we have to love. right? Our natural ability to love is not there. God loved us and poured his love into our hearts. And it's from drawing from that love and including and especially highlighting this beloved love that we can extend love to each other. Imagine God's love as this ever-expanding ocean that you are right in the center of. You are surrounded by His love. You swim in this love. And you look around, and guess what? There's other people also swimming in this love. They've also found the ocean, and they're swimming in the same ocean of God's love that you're swimming. And God is saying, "I want you to have a relationship with the people who are in this ocean of love I placed to you." How does it happen? You've got to swim next to them. And you swim next to them, where in the same ocean? In the ocean of God's love. We have relationship with one another. We swim next to each other in and from and out of God's love. Now, let's make something clear here. It's not to suggest, uh, I don't think theologically we're saying here that uh, we should act as if we're wed to one another. Again, that's something weird, and something different <laughs> from what we're talking about here. That's not what we have in mind. That's, we're only wed, spiritually speaking, to Jesus. However... If we, the church, are bonded to God, and that means that automatically we're bonded to one another. And the bond that has brought us to God is his love. And it's that same love that bonds us to each other. And one of the ways to describe this love, out of the ways in which we think about that love, that bond of love, is a beloved love, the love of a spouse. So it's in and through his belovedness that we now can treat one another as beloved. It's in and out of this belovedness that we can love one another. On our own, we won't love one another very well. Our love tends to grow fickle. Uh, Our love can get hypocritical and superficial. uh, And we're okay for far too long with it being that way. Uh, The well of love that's naturally within us, the Bible would say, has been polluted by sin. You don't want to drink from that well. And many people in the world, that's that's all they've got. They're doing the best they can. But the well of love that's naturally in us, has sin in it. It's the saving act of God in and through Jesus that saves us, that, that, that cleanses us, that remakes us, and puts a new well of love within you. It's God's well, the well of God's love. And it's this love, and in particular, his beloved love, that now fills our hearts. And so as you think of, what does it mean for me to love others around me? You're drawing from the love that God has placed to you, has poured into you by his Spirit. It's that love because God is love and has poured that love in you, that allows you then to love one another. And that love is especially able to bring us together and keep us together. 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You are beloved to me and I am beloved to you because we are all beloved to God and Jesus. You know, I think this especially matters when we think of uh, this idea of the multi ethnic Church. not an idea, a reality, <laughs> The Bible calls Jew and Gentile, all peoples, to be together. And I think the Bible expects, the best as we're able, that there should be local expressions of this. This is what it means to be saved, for God to be brought to bringing all peoples together in him. Jesus and Luke... And this whole series in this month is is looking at uh, the priorities of the gospel as seen in the message Jesus gives in Luke. And he describes this good news going to the poor, to the captives. It's a way of thinking of us understanding that the good news of the gospel is meant for all peoples, especially the people you might the most not think of, most, especially the people most in the outskirts. It's good news meant for all people to bring all peoples together. The local church is meant to be this early installment of this ultimate reality one day. Uh, But we haven't done so hot here in America. Our history is not so good. Um, We are kind of a busted prototype of this, aren't we? Of what it is to bring all peoples together. Most of our history does not reflect this. There's lots of reasons why it's been this way. Lots of reasons. It's been this way. Lots of reasons we will continue to struggle. But here's one thing I think that can help. It's if we love one another better. And I want to suggest if we love one another in some of the strongest ways we can, with the beloved love of God. To love one another with the intimacy, the delight, the passion, the perseverance, the commitment of God's love for us in Jesus Christ as his beloved bride. I think this makes a difference as you think of even the most basic things that you do together as a church. When you sing with others here, you can sing because, well, I'm in the same place at the same time. My parents brought me here. I've been going here for generations. I come here to sing. I like the music. This guy is good. That's why I sing. That's one way of approaching it. Or I sing with people I'm intimately united to. That as I look around this room, I feel and sense God's love for them. And it's God's love in me now that extends towards others. And so I sing with delight and affection for the one who brought us together. It makes a difference for how we lean in towards one another to to be with each other that we have an instinct to want to to share meals and to be one another's home because to be together to be married to someone is to live with them to be present with them god's god's desire to be with us can't help but emanate out from us such that we want to be with one another it makes a difference for how we deal through conflict um, the instincts of our world are to have conflict and to lean away from others If God's beloved love within us, we want to make this marriage work and we do everything possible to lean in and to have commitment and perseverance to do whatever we can, the best we can, and to work through things, to to sacrifice, to show grace, such that we continue to have that union, that beloved love. The beloved love of God that now pours out from us to one another. One last thing I want to add here. Um, Loving one another in these ways, I think, uniquely shows God. It shows the world more than anything that there is a God, and he's worth knowing and following. So verse 12 of 1 John says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. God is spirit, so we can't physically see him, but people can still see and encounter God when they come around Christians, and especially Christians from all sorts of different backgrounds and experiences and cultures, coming together, and not just coming together, to just do things. (laughs) Coming together... In relationships of love. When people experience people you would not expect to be together, people who should not be together, who on the face of it have nothing in common, and yet they come together and they come together in relationships of intimate union, of, of delight and affection and commitment to one another. That says something. It says, Luke 4 is true. There is good news, and it's for all peoples, and especially peoples we might most not think of and might most overlook, even for them there's good news for them. The good news is that God loves them and loves us, and we are now together in that love. Because if we love one another, God abides in his love, and his love will find full effect. And as we experience those loving relationships, as others experience us in those relationships, they will see God. There's a proof for God that you can't deny. There's a proof for God you can't dismiss. God's people loving one another Loving, loving one another with the beloved love of God in Christ. They especially see and know that God is love? You are beloved to me and I am beloved to you because we are all beloved to God. May more and more people experience that. May more and more of us experience that from God and from one another. Amen? Uh, would you pray with me? Lord, uh, again, thank you for the time to be together, and we thank you for uh, what a reality that sounds too good to be true. First, that there's a God, but second, that this God wants a relationship with us, and third, he wants a relationship of love, and not just any type of love, not a casual, superficial, fly-by-night kind of love. He wants the love of a committed marriage, a love that will last forever. A love where he doesn't just put up with us, he delights in us and has affection for us. And so we thank you, first of all, that you're that type of God and that you've extended that type of love towards us. That we, Lord, who did not deserve that love, who could never earn that love, Lord, have come into that love because you did everything possible to make it work. Um, Lord, you cleansed us from our sin, you cleanse us from our faithfulness, and our natural instinct to betray you and drew us together in your love. And Lord, because of that love, Lord, I pray that we would better love one another. Lord, that this beloved love that now resides in our hearts and lives allows me to see others and treat them as you would want me to see them and treat them. They're your beloved. So because they're your beloved, they're beloved to me. Um, Lord, uh, I pray for how you might expand our imaginations, Lord, and, our, our, uh, expand, and, and extend our hearts and our lives towards those around us. Um, to be willing, Lord, to, um, to share, um, to show grace, to forgive, um, Lord, to, to speak truth when necessary, um, to walk with people as long as they need to be walked with, Lord, such that, Lord, the result is that we are more like Jesus, uh, that our community reflects you, such that we see God and others see God. Lord, we thank you for your you are. We thank you, Lord, for this type of love. May we love more and more in this way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.